Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. It's important to have a scripture that you can meditate on for a week or so, just to sort of ponder its meaning and its ramifications and its depth. And recently I've been doing exactly that with Psalm 8. It is quite a stunning chapter in the Psalms, and even the whole of the Psalms, when you think about some of the things that are said in it and that the bulk of them are prayers and that these prayers are prayers directed to God via or through the heart of God's people who are pondering life, pondering death, pondering evil, pondering blessing, pondering a longing that they are waiting on God's ultimate fulfillment of so many things. And the whole of the scriptures comes at us on a particular level, but then though that level is deepened and amplified on the next level and the next level and the next level. And I would almost argue, based on the Jewish understanding of interpretation of the scriptures, that there are four levels that we walk through, that we dig through in order to get to the fullest meaning of the text. And this is applicable for basically every word and every letter and every passage in the scriptures. And we'll never, you as an individual will never get to the end of what the Bible is really on about because it is a book that is coming from the ultimate mind, the mind of God, and it is being brought down to us through the people that God set in place to write it all down. And so it's 100% from God, 100% through man. And that is the scriptures that we have in our hand today. And these things are a reflection. Ultimately, I think of what God uh, knew he would walk through in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is a, a, a massive fulfill, is the fulfillment of all of these things. And Jesus is the new Adam. He is the second man. He is uh, the head of a whole new reality of humans. And we enter into that relationship with him and walk with him through the steps that he walked in order to attain the life that he attained. And it can be a difficult life to walk through. But there's so much in the world around us that teaches us about that, that we shouldn't really be surprised. And a lot in the Old Testament and in the New Testament with the parables and that, there is so much that the mind of the authors of the scripture, scriptures have grabbed onto to say, this is God. This is what God is like. This is who God is. Let's run to him. One of those pictures, before I get into our Psalm chapter 8 meditation, one of those scriptures is at the end of uh, Habakkuk, I think. 
Yes, I think it's Habakkuk, where there's a psalm at the end of and the last, there's only three chapters in Habakkuk. And there's a psalm in the third chapter. And at the end of the psalm, and Habakkuk is pondering uh, evil. He's pondering why bad things happen and why God allows bad things to happen. But at the end of it, he makes a statement. And I think David also makes a statement. He says, let my feet be like deer's feet on high places. So the idea there isn't that God will eliminate the rough ground below us. So there's going to be rocks, there's going to be steep hills, there's going to be places you'll have to ford a river, there's going to be all of these things that make trudging through this journey of life difficult. But if you have the feet, have you ever seen deer or goats zip through rocky terrain? It's stunning what they can pull off. Just pull up some documentary on on some of these uh, high mountain-dwelling goats and i mean these are the animals that the shepherds of israel herded and and looked after and would watch and observe and they would just see these these animals just skip around all these rocks and just zing themselves up into these crazy places and it puts rock climbers to shame how fast and how agile they can be on these really steep rocks so this is what habakkuk sort of concludes in the end as he says the the we can't do anything about the circumstances around us but we can do something about how we attack those circumstances and how we go into those circumstances and we need to be like these animals that just it's as if they're not even there they they use the circumstances as a means of making your mouth drop open and being in awe of what they do so let's look at psalm chapter 8 and see what it is telling us And Psalm 8 is quoted twice in the New Testament. Once by Jesus himself, and then later by the author of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews makes a very astute comment about it. So let's uh, look at first verse 1. To the choir master according to the Getith, a psalm of David. So, And this is where it starts proper. That was the, the introduction. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So automatically, in the first primary passage of the psalm proper, we've got a reference to the earth, and we've got a reference to the heavens. And the heavens are high, and the earth is low. Now, in the Hebrew mind, there were three heavens. There was the heaven that the birds and the airplanes fly around in, Then there was the heaven of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Then there was the heaven of God, that spiritual place. And we see this very often in the book of uh, Matthew, where he talks about the kingdom of heaven, referring to that ultimate heaven where God dwells. It's up there, somewhere. And the barrier between us down here and the heaven of God is the stars and the sun and the moon, that heaven. Now, we know now from telescopes and from Voyager probes and things like that that the universe is huge. It is monstrously huge. You can't even get your head around how huge it really is. We are the tiniest little specks in the grand scheme. The Earth is a tiny little speck. The The solar system the Earth is in is a tiny little speck compared to the whole vastness of our galaxy and the whole of the universe. Absolutely stunning. And yet God, it says, O Lord, 
Yahweh, our Lord, Adonah. How majestic is your name in all the earth. So God's name has come down to us here on the earth. The name Yahweh. It is, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh our God. The Lord is one. He is a singularity. He is a, a unity and a oneness. And he makes himself known here on the earth. And he comes regularly to speak to Abraham, to Noah, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joshua, to David, to the prophets, to, to Paul, to Peter, to Andrew. He has come and spoken to us and still speaks to us today through the scriptures. And so we have in our hand the word of the God who created the vastness of the universe. His name has come down, his character. Whenever you see name in the scripture, you always think the character of God. So his, he, has, he has revealed himself to us. He is the God who speaks about himself. He reveals himself to humans, and so we are able to know him because we are finite, he is infinite. He lives on a whole nother plane up there, but he loves to come down and reveal himself to people who are willing to seek him, to willing to humble themselves before him. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So this idea of glory in Hebrew is the idea of a heaviness, a weight. So when you, we, we have this phrase today uh, in English where you take something lightly. And we, we, know, we say to someone, don't take this lightly. Well, the opposite of that is to take it heavily. So we're telling them not to do what we want them, the opposite of what we actually want them to do. We want them to take it, the positive, heavily. It's serious. It's a weighty thing. So it, it's like picking up a, oh, I don't know, a pencil off the table is a light thing. You know, babies can do it. Babies can grab a pencil and pick it up and wave it around. But when you're lifting very big and very heavy things, like you see these cranes above buildings and they're lifting these iron girders up to be welded into place. Or uh, you see like, I don't know, the space shuttle being taken out to the launch pad or something like that. There is a, when something is huge and heavy, it, you take it very seriously because you know that that thing can kill you if, or break your foot or smash you to death if it falls. So the heavier something is, the more serious you take it. The lighter something is, the, you know, you pick up the pencil, toss it over your shoulder, break it in half, throw it in the bin, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But the heavier things get, the more time and effort and energy has to get put into considering what do you do with this thing? How do we deal with this thing? This big heavy thing. So God's glory is the ultimate heaviness. It's the ultimate thing that we need to so pay attention to and so keep our mind on. And that glory, ultimately, he puts in the highest heaven. So you can read Ezekiel, you can read Revelation, you can read Isaiah, and you can see <coughs> glimpses of the glory of God there in heaven. And the people who see God fall flat on their face. Daniel, John, Moses. When they see a picture of the, the fullness of God, they fall down on their face. They shrink because it's just so overwhelming. 
to them. They don't fall backwards, they fall forwards in the Bible. So the um, so this glory is a, a serious thing, and God puts it in the head. And every now and then it breaks out and comes in, comes through. So if you read Ezekiel, uh, be careful with Ezekiel chapter 1 and 2, because the descriptions that are there... The, the old rabbis would say that, that people do not understand their knowledge of these chapters. You can memorize them and recite them, draw pictures about them, whatever. But, you ha- but to understand what that is all about, and, to, and then at the end of it, it says, this is the glory of the Lord. It's somehow a picture of God's glory. And it's fire, and it's movement, and it's spirit, and it's... It's multidimensional and it's hard to get your head around. And that's God's glory. But we know that it is reflected here on the earth in the person of Jesus. Because what does Paul say? He said there's a great mystery that is to be revealed. And that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says it is being revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when Jesus is dwelling within you, There's a hope there of this glory. And we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ultimately, God will bring his glory to the earth. And that gap between the upper heaven and the lower heaven will be eliminated and it will come down. So let's carry on here with this passage. Let's skip to where it's quoted in Hebrews. Um, Verse five, verse four. What is man that you are mindful of him and the Son of Man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the, than the angels, or heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So, here the psalmist is saying that man is not much. <laughs> okay? Because it says in verse 3, when I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Why do you even look at us when we can look up and see the sun, we can see the moon, we can see the stars, and even now with telescopes and seeing the, the nebula <clears throat> and the quasars and the, and the things that are out there that are just amazingly stunning and massively huge, and yet God takes the time to meet with us here on the earth. That doesn't make us special. It means that God, it just means that God cares and wants his, uh, his creation to be in his image. But we're not in his image because of sin. That messed everything up. But it says here, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and have given him dominion. You have set all, put all things under his feet. So now the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, grabs onto this passage, and he uses it to talk about Jesus being the one who is crowned, and he talks about Jesus having this dominion, but us having this dominion with him. There's a co, uh, it's kind of a co-dominion. Jesus had to come as human in order to, God came as human in Jesus, who is the, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and he came in order to set in motion this setting under the feet business. So Jesus is going to be the one who ultimately has authority over the earth. He will be God 
ruling the earth and those who are for him and walk with him now will be ruling with him and under him. And there's several promises in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that can be applied to both uh, God's people and to Jesus himself. And so there's a link there between the two in some ways that we are the same because we are the body of Christ. So if the head has dominion over the earth, then the body has dominion over the earth. And we are the body of Christ, so we will have dominion over the earth along with our head, Jesus. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a route we have to walk. There's, there's a way in which we have to walk for this to happen. And that way is a way that the Hebrew writer refers to as suffering. So let's go to Hebrews and have a look at that. Uh, New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2. And we'll just read it. It says, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And then it says, Now when putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now before he quotes the psalm, he says directly, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, that it was been testified somewhere that what is man that you are mindful of him. So he quotes this psalm. But he says here that God did not create the world so that angels could rule it. He created the world so that men, humans, could rule it. So it says here in verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, or they are all one. And then it goes on to talk about how Jesus uh, associates, he identifies himself with humans and particularly with his people. And there's a oneness there in it. So this idea of suffering, don't think of it of like suffering, suffering. Think of it as like weight training or something like that. So the pattern that Jesus showed for us is that he suffered, that he died, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended, and then one day he will return. So this pattern is something that we need to follow too. So in our life, when we come to Jesus, we are flooded with a joy and with a peace and with a strength. And in that, we walk through a sort of weight training program that will, and now that's in place of the word suffering, but a weight training program to strengthen us in order that in our death, dying to self, not to, I'm not talking about just physical death, but just dying to self, dying to your right to yourself, as Oswald Chambers used to say. When that death takes place, when you die to your right to yourself, there will be a resurrection. And that resurrection is a kind of newness of life. And then there will be an ascension so it's a sort of step-by-step -step process that we go through. And then eventually, historically, in the future history of, of God's people, there will be a return. 
And so the Lord Jesus will come back with all of his people to the earth, and that will be a glorification. So you have uh, a suffering, a death, and a, sin, uh, a resurrection, an ascension, and a glorious return. Those are kind of the steps that you would go through as a believer. And in that process, we are forever learning to uh, put our mind toward him, to run to him, to say, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's the kind of thing that we need to learn how to do and have our mind trained to. So in that, then God can do some mighty things. And we've talked in other podcasts before, you know, read uh, the book, The Heavenly Man, read Rich, Richard Wormbrand's um, writings where he talks about his times in prison and some of the stunning things that have happened. And there's a number of miracles that have taken place when God's people are put under some extreme pressure and there's some glorious things that take place. But all of that is a kind of weight training. You're doing this in order to be strong. Now there's other people out there like Ray Comfort who go around and I mean, they regularly do evangelism on the streets and they're regularly attacked by people. And he still talks about how, yeah, it's scary just standing up on that box and starting to preach the gospel. You're telling people they're sinners. Nobody wants to hear that they're a sinner, that they're gonna die and go to hell. Nobody wants to hear that. People want to think that they're good. And over and over and over and over and over again, he will ask people, do you think you're a good person? And inevitably, they, they nearly always say yes. Yeah, I'm a good person. And then he takes them through the good person test and shows them that they're actually lying, adulterers, you know, thieves, and, um, and that they're worthy of, they're, they're earning judgment. They're earning a payment of death for their sin. So we need to bear these things in mind. We are, as believers, to be overcoming sin in the flesh uh, by putting our focus clearly on him. And so that's really uh, some of what Psalm 8 is about, is about uh, keeping in mind that there is a greater life above us and ahead of us and to be aiming at that life. Read Hebrews 11 for a greater illustration of what this whole concept is about. But I pray that you'd be blessed in all of this, that this will boost your prayer life, that this will give you a, uh, a challenge to aim toward God who is above and beyond all things. Throw yourself into the scriptures, let him sanctify you and change your life, and you will be exceedingly blessed. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.